Thanks for joining us today. If you have any questions, please email us at info at If you would like to support this ministry financially, visit us at capitalchristian.com and click the Give button in the top right corner. Good morning, guys. I'm glad you made it here uh, to church. How many love church? Okay, we love church. Uh, you guys know the drill. If you come here often, could you turn to your neighbor, just give him a high five, and tell him you love him. Just bless him. Cool. Turn to your second choice, your other neighbor. Do the same thing, right? Do the same thing. Tell me, love them. So glad you made it. Well, I'm, I'm glad you made it uh, here today. And uh, it's, it's an honor. I don't, I'm just thinking about it this morning. It's just an honor to uh, speak to you guys every single Sunday. And you guys actually come back. And so thank, thank you for that. Um, thank you for your prayers. My wife, as Shane mentioned, is in Israel, and she's having a wonderful time, and we've just been praying for her, and God's doing a lot of, of great things uh, through Dr. Stan and the team, and, and so I can't wait for her to get back. And we, we shared, did we show a video or a picture? We showed the picture, okay. So you kind of get an idea of what, what's going on. I think we have a video. Uh, yeah, we can actually roll. Let's just, hey, we like to improv here. Um, we got a video all the way from uh, Bethlehem, and so this is, I think it was what they're calling the, the, um, the fields of Ruth and Boaz, and we're actually talking about Ruth today, so go to check out this, like, five-second video. I feel like I need to do commentary. So that was it. Pretty cool. Um, so, uh, we're just, man, I just, uh, I'm, to be honest, I'm excited for my wife to get back quick. And so, thank you for your prayers. And uh, the last week has been daddy daycare. And uh, it's crazy. Being, being a single dad for 12 days, it just gives you a greater appreciation. If you're a man and you experience this, it gives you a greater appreciation for your, for your wife. And all the men said amen to that. Mothers, mothers are the best. Mothers are the best. So if you're maybe judging me with my hat today, please forgive me. I'm exhausted. I've been running a daycare. And um, I wear hats only once a year, okay? So I promise I won't have a hat most likely next week. Um, I might be in sackcloth and ashes next week, but <laughs> that's another story. Uh, but we, we've been in our Ruth series, and I just want to spend just a few minutes um, in, in the book of Ruth, Ruth chapter 3. And uh, how many of you were here last week? Okay, a few of you were here last week. And uh, so we're just going to go through just a few verses. And if you're taking notes, you can write this down. Um, it's kind of the title of my message. It's uh, redemption. We're going to talk a little bit about redemption. I, I, honestly, my, my proclivity is to, like, get a little bit high-minded on redemption. I'm going to try to, like, pull it back. Everyone say pull it back, right? Um, but I, I want to talk to you about just, I think, a biblical view of redemption and then uh, I want to talk about timing. How many of you know that timing, God's time, is more important than your time? And so I want to talk a little bit about timing. All of this is within this story. And, uh, and then I want to talk about, please don't get awkward, like first service, hey, maybe feel a little bit awkward when I said this. But uh, I want to talk about sex. So we're going to be talking about redemption. And we're going to be, you, you, you did it. You just, first service, it was awkward. Second service, it was awkward. Like nothing, I get nothing from you people, right? But we're going to be talking about redemption. We're going to be talking specifically about timing. And then I think we got to, we just need like a cultural perspective on sex and how God sees 
sex. And so I'm going to do my best to try to weave all the, these three thoughts um, together. And I think it's important. We're living in a, as some people, commentators are saying, in a, a cultural reckoning, right? I'm sure you've heard some of that rhetoric on TV. And it has to deal with um, uh, sex uh, gone wrong. And so um, I, I want to I speak a little bit to this issue. And so last week we talked about, again, if you were here last week, we talked about Boaz who comes on the scene. And uh, remember Naomi? Naomi loses her husband and her two sons. Uh, so in this ancient Near East setting, uh, she, because she has no husband, she has no sons, she has essentially no economic future. So there's no women's suffrage, there's no 19th Amendment, there's no equal pay opportunity, there's no Lincoln, right? Okay, did I get that right? Um, there's no connection, I still didn't get it right, all right. But there's, there's, there, there isn't um, kind of that apparatus that we have in our culture for those who um, are, are suffering. She's, she's economically um, not only depressed, but she, she has no future. So she's basically, the, the story is telling us that Naomi has been uh, given a death sentence. But thankfully for Ruth, Ruth, her daughter-in-law, um, who was from Moab, again, Moab was seen in this ancient world as an archetype of sexual disorder. And so uh, Ruth is from Moab. Uh, she has a conversion experience, and she tells Naomi, I'm gonna go back with you to Bethlehem. Bethlehem is the house of bread. It's the place of God's blessing. We come to chapter two. Chapter two, it's it's kind of this brooding romance, or not brooding, this <laughs> developing romance is taking place. It's platonic. Everyone say platonic. Uh, uh, Ruth uh, is a worthy woman. Boaz is a, a worthy man. That's the, uh, the literal uh, reading in chapter 2 or description of Boaz is that he's a prominent, worthy, mighty man. So he's kind of rolling around in his G-wagon, right? We talked about this, wearing some Gucci, all that kind of stuff. But what stands out in Boaz's life is not his wealth or his prominence. What, what stands out in, Boaz, in Boaz's life is how he uses his wealth, uh, how he uses um, his resources to um, further, not his own agenda, but to further God's plan, not just for Israel. This is crazy, but God's cosmic plan for creation. And so um, we come to chapter three, and we have Naomi. And the story tells, there's tension, you need to feel the tension, because you need to be thinking the question when you read through the book of Ruth is this, okay, uh, who's going to redeem Naomi? Naomi, Naomi has no future, uh, she has no hope. Who is going to redeem? Redeem, redemption really quick, uh, comes from the world of markets and, and commercialization, and it simply means to buy back. Um, theologically, it means to liberate. So the question is, who's going to liberate Naomi? So I've kind of set, just really quick, kind of giving, giving you like a synopsis of what we've talked about. We come to verse 1, and it says, uh, The Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? So there's a conversation between Naomi and Ruth, and we go to verse 2. It's not Boaz. Everyone say Boaz. Boaz, B-O-A-Z, right? Not cheap as, this is Christian, this, that's bad, okay? Yeah, anyways, let's move on. Not Boaz, our relative, right? Not broke. Okay, let's, all right. With whose young women, you're like, man, that, what's wrong with that pastor up there? He has a hat on, and he's saying weird stuff. All right, let's just move on. With whose young women, you were. See, he's winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. 
Verse 3. Wash therefore and anoint yourself and put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor. Everyone say threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. Um, let me, before I read verse 4, the threshing floor in this ancient world was, remember this is an agrarian society, right? And so farmers at the end of the harvest, they would take their profits, which is the, the wheat, and they would go to the threshing floor and they would literally just throw up the, um, in the air uh, the grain. And that act of throwing up the grain would separate the chaff from uh, the wheat and the wheat would fall down because it was heavier. And so you have prophets um, essentially lying in front of you. These farmers, makes it, the, the text makes it very clear, these farmers are experiencing an abundant harvest. So there's a lot of celebration. And so there's like a party, and uh, this is like, like Friday. How many of you like Fridays, right? Payday. Okay, so this is like payday, and the farmers are really excited. Um, this is, a lot of things are going on. The local village would come around the threshing floor, and they would celebrate the goodness of God. Kind of like the all-star game, sort of, last week. It's kind of a party, right? Rihanna in the back, Kendrick Lamar. Anyways, okay, so there's... There's joy. The point that I'm trying to make is that the local village would want to be a part of this celebration. So the farmers, they're, they're celebrating the prophets um, that, that they've just received in this harvest. So we come to verse 4, and um, remember, there's, there's this tension. Who's going to redeem Naomi? Uh, Naomi knows something that Boaz and Ruth don't know in chapter 2. Chapter 2 takes about seven weeks. She knows that there's something between Boaz and Ruth. And if she can just make this relationship happen, uh, her life can be redeemed. So Naomi essentially takes matters into her own hand, hands, which isn't always a good thing. Can I get any man, church? And she gives the worst advice ever. I mean, it's horrible advice. I recommend that you would not give this advice to anybody. Verse 4 so Naomi says, but when he lies down, talking about Boaz, you go to the threshing floor, um, all these men now are drinking, they're drinking water and Diet Coke, right? But their hearts are merry. Anyways, um, observe the place where he lies, then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. I, I, I'm, not trying, I'm not trying to be crass, but it kind of feels like Tinder, right? Swipe left, right, serious. This is midnight. Like, I, I would not recommend fathers you telling your daughter, right? My daughter, she's right here. She ain't getting married. Whitney, you ain't getting married till you're 40, okay? Um, wouldn't recommend this um, uh, for anybody in, in terms of a dating relationship. So Naomi here is potentially giving advice which can, it, it, it threatens to unravel the integrity of this story. It, it, it's, it's bigger than that. Um, if, if they accept this advice, and again, there's this, uh, there's a line, right, and the, the story is bringing you to a point um, that uh, will cause you to think about did Boaz and Ruth cross this line, and we'll get to that point here soon, but essentially this bad advice can throw off cosmic future. Everyone say cosmic future. Can throw cosmic future off its arc. So there's a lot at stake here. Just so you know, Boaz and Ruth uh, were the great, great, great uh, granddad and grandma of King David. And if you don't know this, it's through King David that we have Jesus. And if you're not familiar with church, if you're not familiar with the Bible, it's Jesus who rescued not just souls, but he rescued the entire space-time world. 
and he brought healing through his death. And it's through his resurrection that this new creation project is launched and we can be a part of it. So the world was changed on a cosmic scale through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. But it's through this bad advice that all of this could be thrown off course, thrown off of its trajectory. Now, let me say something really quick before I uh, go through this text. Timing is really important. It's important to know what God's called you to do. It's important, how many of you would say yes? In, in the world that we're living in, we know that we gotta know the right thing to do. And I know we kind of live in our post-structural, post-modern world where like the right thing to do, it's like people are a little bit confused about that and we, we call this situational ethics or moral relativism or whatever. But as followers of Jesus, there is a right thing to do. So it's important to know your call. Can I get an amen? It's important to know your purpose, right? Why, why are you sucking oxygen right now in your lungs? Why, why do you have knees and elbows and why do you have a body? Well, because you have purpose. Because you're, you're not just some arbitrary thing, some cosmic accident. God has a plan for you. So it's important that we understand that, but it's also important to understand that timing is just as important as knowing to do the right thing. Here's a little math equation. Like all the people who hate math, you're like, oh no, don't, don't give me math. But this is really simple. The right thing done at the wrong time still is or equals the wrong thing. Timing is a big issue, I think, when it comes, if, if I want to speak to our generation, I think we got to get the right timing down. For example, my, I, I took my kids to Cracker Barrel. How many of you love Cracker Barrel? Okay, we love Cracker Barrel. And uh, my, my son Quincy, he's, he's an old soul, and we were uh, in a conversation. We were talking about Egyptian hieroglyphic, like hieroglyphics, right? And so we were just kind of like, like shooting the breeze, having a great conversation. And uh, I, I have this pancake. Cracker Barrel has the best pancakes in the world. And so I'm pounding this, this, this pancake, and then Quincy looks to me and says, Dad, he's really serious. He goes, can you teach me how to be an adult? He actually said, can you teach me all that you know about being a grown-up? And, um, and I'm like, yeah, son, of course. Like, I'll show you, like, all the stuff that I know. And I'm thinking in my head that this is, he's thinking about the process. Like, over the next 20 years, I'm going to show him how to be a man of God. So that's what I'm thinking. I go back to my pancake, and he's still staring at me. <laughs> it's like the, he's, like, telling me the conversation isn't over and so I look over to my son, he looks up to me, and he goes, Dad, I mean, like, right now. And I remember looking at him, and I'm like, son, there's just, it's going to take too long. I'm just way too smart. I can't, I'm, I didn't say that. You can't handle, right? You can't handle what I would impart. You're, you're six. And he, he got it, and I said it in a very loving way. Um, and I remember thinking about how, if we're not careful, we can take a right thing, the call of God on our life. We can take even good, not good things, but God things, and we can do it at the wrong time, and it still equals the wrong thing. Like, I, I would be an irresponsible dad if I let my kids drive the family car at the age of six. Like, I'm not going to wake up one day and say, hey, Wesley, uh, here's a chainsaw. 
you're a, go ahead and chop some wood down, right? Or wood, chop wood down. So whatever, go find something and saw it with the chainsaw, right? I didn't even know that's the language, but I mean, honestly, I would be an irresponsible father, right? There's a reason why we have, is it eight, what is it, 15, 16, driving age limit, uh, 18 and 21? We have, we have reasons why uh, we have uh, limits, uh, because timing is important. If you get ahead of God's timing in your life, you will quickly find out you can't handle what God wants to do through you. Right, can I get an amen to that? I think even some people are disillusioned because they get a, a, a word from God, they get a promise from Jesus, and uh, it totally transforms their life, and then there's delay, and the promise doesn't like happen according like to their timetable, and people get really frustrated with God because they don't understand that there's a thing called timing. It takes time for your cheese to mature. Where did that come from? It takes time for God to build your character so you can handle the blessing that he wants to work through your life. Man, that's really good charismatic preaching right there. So if there's delay, this is not an indictment against you. This is simply God doesn't want to destroy your life by giving too much too soon so that you can't carry it. God wants you to be able to carry what he has for you, his promise, his call, his vision. Timing is really important. And we find this out in Matthew chapter four with Jesus and his encounter with the Satan or the Satan. It's when Jesus meets the devil. Before Jesus meets the devil, at the end of Matthew chapter three, we have this baptism story. And uh, Matthew tells us that Jesus is baptized. He goes under the waters in the Jordan River and the heavens open up. Right? They're torn open. This is an apocalyptic moment. And a voice announces over Jesus, you are my son. In you, I'm well what? I'm well pleased with you. This is a veiled reference to Psalm chapter 2. Psalm chapter 2 is all about the coming of the king, the Messiah. So there's, there's two things that are working here. The father is announcing over Jesus, I'm well pleased in you. But he's also giving Jesus his vocation. You are the king, you are the Messiah. And it is because of this moment, I believe that Jesus was able to handle everything because he knew that his father was pleased. Because he knew his father loved him. He was able to handle every adversity. He was able to go all the way to the cross and give his life for us. Because he was convinced his father loved him. So there's something to be said about the call of God. Like if you want to just more than make it in life, more than just survive, you need to know that your father, if you're in Christ, you don't have to be perfect, but your father in heaven, man, he stinking loves you. And he's well pleased in you. Well, Chris, you don't understand my life. I'm pretty broken. I've, I've made some bad decisions this week. That's all right. We repent. We call sin, sin. Can I get an amen to that? No one in this room is perfect. But when we bring our sin to Jesus, he comes all those dehumanized behaviors and habits and attitudes, we bring them to Jesus. There's forgiveness and there's healing. And your father's not intimidated by your mess. He's not intimidated by your sin. 
We know Jesus was perfect. But before Jesus did one thing in his ministry, his father said, hey, I'm, I'm well pleased with you. And your father says the same thing over you before you do anything. You don't have to perform your way into the kingdom of God. right? Because if, if you're in Christ, your father is well pleased with you. So then after this baptism moment, we, there's, there's a pattern here. Jesus is driven, the, the text reads, into the wilderness. And Jesus has an encounter with the Satan or the Satan. The Satan in, in some rabbinic literature was seen as the greatest rabbi because of his expertise in uh, scripture. And you see this in this kind of this hermeneutical, this fight, battle, like scripture versus scripture. You see that Satan has a, a, a mastery of scripture and he twists it out of shape. But it's fascinating uh, The Satan comes to Jesus after 40 days of fasting. And in this moment, Jesus, after he receives his call, he's now figuring out, okay, what, is, what does it mean to be king of the world? And so in 40 days, he's with his father. Uh, the wilderness is a place of strength, not just solitude for Jesus. So his father sends him out into the wilderness to strengthen him for the test. Any call of God will be tested. There will always be an obstacle when it comes to the call of God on your life. But you can't, because you can't measure what's not tested. Can I get an amen to that? You need to know that you can handle what God's given you. There needs to be testing. Can I get an amen to that? And so Jesus is, he's figuring out, okay, because in this, in this first century setting, this first century world, uh, there were a lot of different portraits of the Messiah. You had the glamorized Messiah. You had the might makes right Messiah. You had all these different styles, all these different like um, ways of being the king. And so Jesus, for 40 days, through his father's help, figures out what it means to be king. And at the end of this 40 days, the Satan comes to him and tempts him three times. I can't get into temptation, but the temptation is formed around taken a shortcut. The Satan, we caricature the Satan. Like, you know, if, if, you've, like, if you've gone to any Faustian uh, play, um, deal with the devil stuff, we think of the devil as like some caricature, pointy horns and like, like red cape and all that kind of stuff. All we know is he's a quasi-personal real force that comes to Jesus. I know people like, wow, we don't, we're living in the 21st century. We don't like to talk about the Satan. Well, the Bible's very clear that there is a quasi-dark force that is anti-God. And so we demythologize the spiritual realm. Like, that, that stuff doesn't exist. You can say that all you want, and it's still going to be there. And so the Satan comes not as a little pointy medieval figure with a red cape, he comes as a brooding dark force and whispers temptations to Jesus. The first temptation, really quick, is, hey, Jesus, okay, so now since you're the son of God, you're, you're gonna be the king of the world, why don't you, um, why don't you take those stones, because you're starving your face off, and turn those stones into bread? And what does Jesus say? He says, uh, my feelings tell me this. No, he doesn't say that. He goes, I think it should be done this way. He doesn't say that. He goes, it is written. It is written. We don't live by how we feel. We don't live by the feels. 
Can I get an amen? We don't live by what we see. Can I get an amen? We don't live by our circumstances, right? We, we fight the good fight of faith, not the good feel of feel. And so Jesus uses scripture to overcome this temptation. But this temptation is all about timing. In fact, this dramatic story between Jesus and the Satan is all about how shortcuts are satanic. The little Satan figure comes and with the pull of hunger and the lure of cheap success, glamorizing stuff. Hey, Jesus, let's just do a spectacle thing. Hey, Jesus, man, let's, let's go for broke right now. Don't worry about the future, but just in your time, let's do this king thing. And Jesus overcomes the temptation and that pull to get out of the timing of God by using scripture and knowing who he is. So number one, you need to know who you are in Christ. Number two, you need to know what God's word says. Which leads me back to the story, verse four. But when he lies down, remember the conversation between Naomi and Ruth, Observe the place where he lies, then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. Bad advice. Like, I just, I can't even, it's midnight, right? And um, Boaz has been drinking a lot of Diet Coke, and his heart's merry, right? We're evangelical, so we can't use wine. He's drinking Diet Pepsi, right? So he's not himself, right? He wakes up startled, and he sees a woman at the foot of his bed. I don't know about you, but that's a temptation. Can I get an amen from everybody? Let's not make this awkward. Let's just be real. That's, that's weird, okay? So then we find in verse five, she replies, all that you say, I will do. If they haven't crossed the line yet, they're dancing on it, right? They're flirting with that line. And verse 6, so she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. And then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. And at midnight, the man was startled and turned over. And behold, a woman lay at his feet. Verse 9, he said, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant for you are a redeemer. In other words, this is a marriage proposal. Will you marry me? I know it's midnight, and I'm in your room, and this is weird, and I've uncovered your blanket. Will you marry me? Man. Verse 10, and he said, Boaz is a, is a worthy man, he goes, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now my daughter, essentially because you've been faithful to Naomi, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask for all my fellow towns. Men know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true, I want you to note the language of redemption, that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. We talked about this story last week. Remain tonight and in the morning. If he will redeem you, good. Let him do it. But if he's not willing to redeem you, again, no, redeem. 
then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you, not just you, but Naomi. Lie down until the morning. Boaz continues, or the text continues, so she lay at his feet until the morning, but rose before one could recognize another, and he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it and measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city. When she had came to her mother-in-law, she said, how, do you, how did you fare, my daughter? And she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, these six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, you must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. And we end here. She replied, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will set, settle the matter today. I, I, I've been in ministry now for 20 years, and I've realized the thing that a lot of people miss, as I've mentioned, is the issue of timing. We turn a God thing into a wrong thing because we're out of step with the timing of God. And because we can't handle, when you're out of God's timing, you can't handle um, the blessing that God wants to work through you. It eventually, and I've seen it over and over and over again, it destroys your life. When people choose cheap success and the lure of, of the glamour, of, of shiny things, right, of, of achievement and status, and they get in front of God's timing, it unravels their life. And the issue of timing that I want to talk about um, specifically in this cultural moment is one of, and it's, it's disrupted the lives of so many people, and it's the issue of sex. In, 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 in the Hebrew, it, it brings you to a point where you're not sure what's gonna happen. There, there's, there's a line, right? And there's, there's an awkward midnight, like, rendezvous. And we have, if, if you're hearing the story for the very first time, you're like, oh my God, cosmic future is at stake based on what happens in this developing romantic story. And so there's a tension that you have to feel, and this tension revolves around timing. And I think when it comes to sex in this cultural moment, we have the timing wrong as a generation. Our timing is wrong. You have people that insist that sex is good, and it is. God invented it. God created sex. This is a really awkward moment. But he created it, right? He's the one that invented it. And that there's some people say that sex is good and I can have it whenever I want. What are they, what are they doing? This is a right thing at the wrong time, which leads to a wrong thing. So if we just assume in this cultural moment that, man, sex is something that I can have with anybody, multiple partners, right? Um, what, what are we saying or what are we doing? We're essentially desacralizing sex. We're treating and many, many uh, Americans have commodified sex because what happens is when sex is everywhere, sex loses its sexiness. In the world of economy, right? Economic language, when supply is up, Demand is down. Remember when we got Krispy Kreme 12 years ago? I mean, we, I mean, it was like party central. Remember the lines? I mean, it was insane. It's like Boise, you need to get out every now and then. 
when Krispy Kreme opened, I think it was like a midnight, right? And we were lines, it felt like for miles, people were like flipping out. They're, they brought tents and uh, they couldn't wait to get that original donut that like was like butter, right? Butter and sugar, which is essentially what it is. And I remember after, and probably for a good two, three weeks, we had Krispy Kreme and we had long lines. But a couple months go by, it's like everyone's like, oh, I've had like 3,500 Krispy Kreme donuts and I've gained 35 pounds and I'm sick to my stomach. It's not that sacred anymore. What happens is when we have, when we choose, and this is mobile dating apps in the, in the words of one pastor, mobile dating apps, and I'm, I'm talking Tinder. If you're on Tinder, I'm not, this is in, in no way trying to like judge you or anything like that, but mobile Tinder apps have literally changed uh, the landscape of what it means to be human and how we treat our bodies and, and what we do with our bodies. In fact, some researchers are saying that 34% of the data transfer on the internet, which is a form of enchantment, is pornographic. Our minds, can we talk like this, is okay? Because I want to talk about timing because it's relevant to this story. Our minds have been, the American mind has been pornified. We're seeing images that we should never see. We're looking at things and we're treating our bodies and other bodies with contempt. We've commodified sex by having sex with multiple partners. And because we've done that, sex has lost its sacredness. God is the one who invented sex and it is a good thing when it's done at the right time. And what's the right time, Chris? The right time is within the sacredness of marriage. There's something that happens when you have an intimate moment. Your brain secretes a chemical. We've talked about this before. It releases an opioid in your, your brain. And if you know anything, and I don't know much about this, but drug addicts who, who are addicted to heroin, um, when they do heroin for the first time, the same part of the brain lights up as when you have an intimate moment with somebody. So in other words, sex is designed by God to be like superglue. It's addictive. There's, there's a, there's a, a it's, it's almost like it's a bonding agent. Uh, some neuropsychologists will, or um, uh, biopsychologists will tell you that sex is a biochemical love potion. It's meant to bind you to your partner. And what we see in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, it says, the man will leave his mom and his dad, and he'll essentially marry his uh, wife, and the two shall become, what? One. They'll be bonded together. But what happens when you tear that bond apart, something inside of you gets torn. I've shared this story um, two weeks ago. My iPad broke. I'm not going to get into the details. I went to the Apple store, and they said, okay, this is all we, they spent an hour trying to diagnose what's wrong with my computer, and all they had to say after an hour is, okay, you need to get some super glue, and you need to get some cotton swabs, and that should help fix your iPad. I'm like, are you kidding me? Not going to get into the details of why they suggested that, so I go home and I super glue my iPad, my finger, and the cotton swab together. 
And so, you know, it's like, I, I, I pan, I'm a pan, any panickers here? I'm, I, <laughs> I'm a panicker. I don't know how I haven't panicked so far with my kids, you know, and my wife away. But I, I, I almost called 911. I'm like, oh my God, what do I do? Am I now eternally bonded to my iPad? And so I, I, I tried to tear it off, and it wasn't, it wasn't tearing, guys. I'm sweating. I want to pass out. Finally, I, I separate my finger from the super glue and the iPad, and obviously it tore off some skin. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is disgusting. And Mike Lee, he doesn't like the sight of blood. He would have been, bam, passed out, right? Um, it gives, that, that to me is like an evocative picture of what happens when um, we have sex with multiple partners. You're bonded with that partner and then you leave that partner and it tears you apart. So what do we need? What do we need? Because one thing I don't want you to leave today because many people, uh, we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And some of you have taken a God thing, a right thing, and have done it at the wrong time. I don't want you to leave condemned. I want you to believe that if you've made mistakes when it comes to sex, if you've, you've engaged in sexual activity outside of God's plan, there's still healing and forgiveness for you. Amen? Well, what we need, what we need when it comes to uh, forgiveness, when it comes to um, images in our head when it comes to doing things out of God's timing. We, we don't need self, more self-actualization. In other words, we believe as Americans that the self is pr prior to, to all else or everything else. That the self is the ultimate gauge of authority, right? And we hear rhetoric like you just gotta be true to yourself. We got the authenticity movement. We got like what we call the therapeutic worldview, which means if you could just figure yourself out, if you could just be true to yourself, then you can like get into uh, human flourishing. Like you can overcome all your hangups, everything that enslaves you in your life. You can through brute strength, if you can define that divine spark inside of you, you can be free from all of these things that disfigure our lives. Well, the Bible goes counter to that. The Bible believes we need more than self-actualization. That the problem with us is our self. Jeremiah 17 tells us that the heart is deceptively wicked, that we have an unlimited capacity to, to lie to ourselves, to deceive ourselves. And Jesus makes it very clear. And throughout Scripture, I read through the Old Testament over the last few weeks, and I've come to the inescapable conclusion that as humans, what we need is redemption. Because the Bible, and redemption implies this, and the Bible says this very clearly. Bible makes it very clear that there's progress and us like getting better is all a myth. The Bible doesn't believe in the myth of progress. We do not believe that the world is getting better under its own steam. Can I get an amen to that? What we need in our life, if we want to be free from what enslaves us, if we want to get back on track, if we want to fulfill God's plan for our life, we need more than self-actualization. What we need is a fresh act of God. You need Jesus. You need the work of the Holy Spirit to transform 
how you think, to transform how you feel, to turn those, those fantasies or maybe the things, that, those images that you've seen on the internet or on TV that has affected your vision in life. You need Jesus to set you free to bring healing and forgiveness. We don't need self-actualization. We need a fresh act of the Holy Spirit. We need the fresh act of the Holy Spirit. Jeremiah 29, 11 is something that we quote in church a lot. And uh, the context is pretty simple. Um, God's people have been unfaithful and they're uh, in Babylon. So they've been exiled from their own land temple's destroyed. Temple is like this amazing symbol of heaven and earth coming together, colliding together. It's the place of God's presence. And Babylon came and destroyed it. God's people are exiled. They're now in captivity. And so the prophet Jeremiah speaks this word over the captives. And he goes, I know the thoughts I have speaking for God towards you. Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. I heard it from this one pastor. Hey, if you haven't followed God's plan, hey, the good news is God still has a plan for you. I'm gonna say that again. Some of you didn't hear me. Like if you haven't followed God's plan with timing, haven't followed God's plan with sex, you haven't, and, and can I, I'll be honest, and this is an important issue that we have to talk about as a church because there's a lot, of, a lot of people that are leaving the church because they just don't believe in Jesus' sexual ethic. People literally, it, it, it comes down to sex for people. They're leaving the church because they, they, they love everything that Jesus says when it comes to radical egalitarianism, that's their words, but when it comes to holiness and what Jesus says, about us, people are like, I can't handle that. I gotta leave. And maybe some of you are like, Chris, I don't know if, I think, I, I think I'm okay. You know, I'm, I, you know, I kind of have sex whenever I want. I, you know, I multiple partners. I think I'm okay with that, right? Um, I, I don't think Jesus really knows what he's talking about. Isn't it funny how when it comes to Jesus, when it comes to our bodies, when it comes to like delicate issues, we, now, be honest, we cop an attitude. And behind that attitude is this assumption that God's a cosmic killjoy, right? That he wants to rain on your joy parade. But here's the thing, God created sex. And when you do it God's way, you experience, and I, I, I could throw out research and statistics, you experience all that God wants you to experience. Blessing and pleasure and life when you do it his way. It's funny how people have a problem with, with Jesus when we talk about sex. And in the words of one pastor, I'm kind of borrowing his illustration. We go to Home Depot. How many of you like Home Depot? Okay, a few of you. You go to Home Depot, right? Like, you, you like machines and stuff. Machines. You're a carpenter. Tools, that's what I was looking for, metal objects. Thank you, thank you very much. God bless you, God bless you. 
We go to, we go to, yeah, my sister just said, who am I? I'm a product of my father, Tracy. He taught me nothing about tools. I live in the world of ideas. You go to home. I'm an idea guy. It's funny how you, let's just, in this hypothetical situation, you go to Home Depot and you buy yourself a chainsaw, right? There's not one person that buys a chainsaw at Home Depot as, as copping an attitude for all the rules for operating the chainsaw, right? Because they, they just assume that De Home Depot has their back. I'll be honest with you, if you work at Home Depot, I'm sure you're an incredible person. But Home Depot doesn't care that much for you compared to how God cares for you. And so we cop an attitude like with God and his vision of sex, and then we go to Home Depot and we're okay with all the rules because Home Depot just doesn't want you to chop your leg off. Why, why, why is there that di dichotomy? Well, what it comes down to, we don't believe that God um, has our best interest in mind. And so what, what happens is we work from that assumption and we take matters into our own hand and we get out of timing. And when we get out of timing, it leads to destruction. The good news is today, if you, if you wanna get free, if you wanna get, you haven't been following God's plan, but you wanna get back into his plan. If you're encouraged today, maybe you have not handled sex right. Maybe this is the first message you've ever heard in church about sex. Maybe you didn't realize that God created sex and it's a good thing when it's done according to the right time. And maybe you've made mistakes. Let's call it what it is. We all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is hope for you. Even though you haven't followed God's plan, God still has a plan for you. So this is not a word of judgment. This is a word of liberation. This is a word of hope. If your mind is messed up because you've been looking at images and now your mind's deformed because of pornography, maybe multiple partners that you've slept with, there is hope for you today. I love Psalm, I love Psalm 51. Can you give me two more minutes, three more minutes? Psalm 51 in the message, it's, I love it. David, the poet, he goes, um, God, I've messed up, but according to your said, your loving kindness, soak me in your laundry. Like my sins, I can't, I can't clean myself, I need you to clean me. And then he goes, God, I need you to create a Genesis week of the chaos of my life. I need you to make a fresh start in me, and this is what I love. He goes, God, will you breathe your holiness into my life? I've been thinking about that all morning, and I think this is what God intends to do if you want it today. He wants to set you free from your sin. He wants to breathe his holiness into your life. He wants you, if you're out of step with God, he wants to put you back in step with him and his plan. So how do we do this? Well, we have to exercise some humility this morning. We gotta, we gotta be honest with ourselves. 
we gotta, we gotta say, okay, I, I can't break this addiction in my life without you, Jesus. I can't, I can't overcome the shame and this guilt and kind of the deformative things that have happened to me because I just did not treat sex in the right way. I can't liberate myself from that. Only you can, Jesus. And what we find, and I'm closing here and I wanna pray for you, in Ruth chapter one, it's a powerful thing that happens with Naomi and Ruth. They hear that there's bread in Bethlehem. So they make a decision to leave Moab to go to Bethlehem. In order for you to have a new beginning, you have, in the words of one pastor, you have to have a necessary ending. You have to, you have to come clean with God. God, I've been doing it my way. I've been wanting a little bit of Jesus. I've been treating Jesus kind of like a cosmic therapist. I just kind of want him to make me feel good about myself. Uh, but I kind of been doing my own thing at the same time. You can't squeeze the life that God has for you and at the same time do what you want to do in your life. How you get free, it's really simple. You have to confess. You gotta be honest with God's truth. You gotta open your heart to Jesus and you allow him to come in and set you free and breathe his holiness into you. I'm gonna read a story and I'm gonna end here. I think I have this. This is, I believe, from William Booth. And uh, he uh, committed a sin, and this is what he wrote. He goes, the entrance to the heavenly kingdom was closed against me in what he called an evil act. God's kingdom, he's saying, was closed by an evil act of the past which required restitution. He had deceived his friends and received a silver pencil case as a reward. So he knew it was wrong and should give it back. Um, to confess the deception I had to practice upon them was a humiliation to which for some days I could not bring myself to. So he, he basically deceived his friends, stole some stuff, whatever. And then he continues, I remember as if it were but yesterday, the resolution to end the matter, the rising up and rushing forth, the finding of the young fellow I had chiefly wronged, the acknowledgement of my sin, the return of the pencil case. He's, he was a young kid, okay? The instant rolling away from my heart of the guilty burden, the peace that came in its place and the going forth to serve my God and my generation from that hour with power. I think maybe the reason why you have no power is because you have not gone to the place of confession and repentance. In order for you to have a new beginning, you have to have an ending. You gotta leave Moab, which is a place of sexual disorder, and you gotta move towards Bethlehem, which is a place of blessing and bread and life. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Capital Christian. We hope you will stay connected by following us online. To find out more information, visit us at capitalchristian.com.